Hello again, everyone, and welcome back to Octopulse, our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. I'm Mark Faulkner, Detroit News Assistant Sports Editor, joined by Ted Colfin, our Red Wings beat reporter. Coming up on the podcast, we'll hear from Sean and William Horkoff. Sean is the Red Wings Assistant General Manager. William is his son. He's just 16 years old. But already he's 6'4 and just scored 80 goals in 80 games with Little Caesars. And last week he was selected to play for USA Hockey's National Development Program. But first, Ted, Steve Eiserman and Derek Lalonde met the media in the season-ending news conferences yesterday on Friday. Statistically, Eiserman talked about the improvements. The wings improved in at least five categories, points, goals for, goals against, power play, penalty killing, points from 74 to 80, goals for from 2.7 to 2.9, goals against 3.7 to 3.3, power play from 16% to 21%, penalty kill from 73% to 78%. So what did you make of the season, Ted? And what were some of the highlights for you from Iserman's news conference? Well, I don't know about you, Mark, but I thought it was a step forward. I mean, points-wise, mm-hmm. I will say it was a mild disappointment. I think I had them pegged at about 84, 85 points, so a mild disappointment. But like Derek's been saying here the last few weeks, it really is It's going to be a little difficult to evaluate this team because it's almost like two completely different teams before the mm-hmm. trade deadline. I mean, heavens, we were talking about it. They were right in the midst of a playoff chase. They were right above the the playoff line on February 23rd after they beat the Rangers. And then those two losses, well, especially those two losses in Ottawa seem to change everything. I mean, solidified Steve Weiserman's, you know, uh, decision to go heavy at the trade deadline. He shipped away the guy likes Bertuzzi and Ronick and Vrana, Sunquist, and completely, you know, that decimated the depth in the lineup and mm-hmm. from then on on well, what were they like seven 15 and one i think i wrote i mean it was stark difference collectively i mean you add it all up i mean you know they still made a six point improvement but i don't know like he said yesterday i mean both of them Milan and eiserman there's a lot of work to be done no question about it there's still work to be done they need offense they desperately need offense and you know it's not easy to find sometimes um there's, I mean, there's some pieces there, but you know, it's let's face it, we've talked about this before too, Mark. It's a com- very competitive division. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a lot to move up. Let's hear from Eiserman now. Here he is answering your first question from Friday's news conference. What areas do you think you guys need to improve on going into next season? At least as you sit there right now. Every area, Ted. I want to say, like, uh, you know, there was improvement if we just look at. Uh, you know, what did we win 35 games versus 32 last year? I'd like to win more games next year. Uh, our power play, uh, I don't know where exactly, I probably should have looked at all this before getting on, but we were, you know, we're 20th or so on our power play, our penalty killing, mm-hmm. as opposed to 30, 31, 32. We've improved in those areas. Our goals against overall has improved. Uh, took a real hit here in the last couple of weeks. Um I'm not overly concerned about that. I'm not going to read a whole lot into that, uh, you know, what's gone on the last couple of weeks, but we improved in those areas. Obviously it's not good enough. We got to score more uh, in general as a team. 
Um, and as I say, I may not may or may not be able to address that. What I'm really hoping on, and, and it might only be incremental, but our younger players all chipping in a little bit more, able to do more. Joe Valeno being able to contribute a little bit more. Philip Zadina, Lucas, uh, all of our young guys, everybody chipping a little bit more. So I, I, again, it's... Uh, and not not trying to be uh, like uh, witty or anything, but we really need to get better in every area. We got to be a more physical team. We got to be uh, a more competitive team. And that doesn't necessarily mean I got to go out and get somebody six six two fifty to go out and beat people up. You have to win puck battles. You have to block shots, bid, win faceoffs. All those little things make a team more competitive. We have to improve in all those areas. So, Ted, there's Steve Eiserman saying he didn't really mean to be witty, but yes, they need improvements everywhere. I mean, I, I think everybody took it that way too. It's like I don't think you know everybody wasn't being snarky or whatnot. They do need to get improve in every area. I mean, there's still. Even the special teams, they took a step forward, Mark, but mm-hmm. they still need to take another step forward. Uh, team defense, the same way. Goal, I mean, as good a season as Huso had, when you look at the goals handing, the save percentage collectively and goals against wasn't, you know, wasn't spectacular by any stretch. And mm-hmm. and like we said, the offense, they need goals, no question about it. They do need offense. So, yeah, I mean, they made improvements this year, but they're still – Plenty of areas they need to improve on even further to talk about it being in the playoff picture. You know, Ted, just moments ago, Iserman mentioned Lucas Raymond and Joe Valeno specifically. Raymond had only 17 goals. He had 23 in his rookie season. Joe Valeno had only nine goals this year. And in his career, he scored only 18 times in 152 games. So, Let's say for sake of argument, let's say most players, Ted, improve by 10, 20% point-wise. Maybe they add a free agent or two, maybe a trade. Will that be enough to go from 80 points to 92 points? 92 points got Florida into the playoffs this year. You just mentioned Detroit improved by six this year. Do you think that's too big of a jump, though, to improve by 12 points without knowing all the roster changes going into training camp? Yeah, Mark, it's going to be impossible. We, 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 let's let that summer play out and see how the personnel changes with the wings and all the teams ahead of them. But, yeah, I, I no question about it. He was very he, – he's going to depend on a lot of those younger kids improving incrementally. I mean – Mm-hmm. You got the likes of Raymond, Valeno, Bergeron. Bergeron started with a house of fire, but he kind of tailed off there at the end. They didn't get, they got very little out of Philip Zadina this year, obviously. I mean, he was hurt most of the year. Robbie Fabry, that's another kid who, mm-hmm. like, above the kid level at this point, but he's another guy who's going to be coming off. You know, maybe another knee injury or whatnot. And how you know how good is he going to be? They really did miss Michael Rasmussen. And Derek Malone kind of mentioned it a couple of times. Uh, he's a guy who really took a step forward this season, and they did miss him down the stretch. Mm-hmm. So that's going to help having those healthy bodies. But somewhere along the line, yeah, they really do need a top six forward, and those don't grow on trees. Those, those are tough to find. We'll hear more from Iserman and Derek Lalonde. We'll talk about the high point of the season. But first – It's time for our interview segment on the podcast, and our guests today are Sean and William Horkoff. Joining us now are Sean and William Horkoff. Sean is the assistant GM of the Detroit Red Wings, and William is his 16-year-old son who was 
just selected to play for USA Hockey's National Development Program beginning in the fall. Welcome to the podcast, guys. William, if we can start with this past season with your Little Caesars team, your U15 team, ranked number one in the country, 71 Seven and two, averaging five goals per game, allowing less than two goals per game. 80 games, you had 80 goals and 93 assists. Before we talk about the national semifinal loss against Shattuck St. Mary's, what was it like playing your final year at Little Caesars, your dad helping to coach the team? So many friendships under coach Brian Jardine. What were some of the highlights for you, William? Oh, just went in with my teammates and mm-hmm. just kind of spending time together with like my friends and coaches. Um, I wouldn't be where I am right now without their help. And they've kind of helped pave my path these past few years. And they've helped me grow mm-hmm. with the five years I've been with them. Especially this year was like one of my favorite years because we had like a really good team and we all like Everyone was a great teammate. We all bonded together. There was no, like, clicks or nobody really fought against each other. So that's what helped. I feel like that's what helped us be really successful is how, mm-hmm. like, good of a group we were and how we, like, came together and won most of our games and, like, came back in a lot of games too. William, can you tell me about two of your teammates, goalie Joey Slavic, defenseman Charlie Tethaway? They'll both be joining you with USA Hockey's U17 team. Brian Jardine said he's been coaching Joey since he was five or six and calls him one of the best 16-year-old goalies in the country. Mm -hmm. He's from Westland and his dad, Ron, teaches goaltenders. Coach Jardine also said Charlie is one of the country's best defensemen. He's from Maryland, played in Pittsburgh. What kind of years, William, did they have and how much will that help to have two teammates join you with the national team? Oh, well, they had two incredible years. I mean, Joey was incredible this year. Mm-hmm. Same with our other backup goalie, Sammy. He was great, too. Um, we wouldn't have won without our goalies. And just like the how Joey has developed since I first met him five years ago, it's incredible to see. I mean, he's he's like averaging, I think it's like one or two goals a game when he plays. So it's incredible. It's really fun to see. And stress away, too. This is my first year playing with him, but mm-hmm. – kind of played against him like years before and played on like some select teams and tournaments and I got to know him and he's a great guy so is Joey they're both great kids and Treth obviously is an, an incredible D I agree with coach stars on being one mm-hmm. of the best D in the country he he's also a good leader he leads the decor and he's always like picking guys up when they're down which I really admire so he's a really good teammate how about your game, William? I asked Brian Jardine about what position you play, uh, center or the wing. He said you spent more time at center this year on a line, oftentimes with his son, Evan. And long-term, he's not sure where you'll wind up. USA Hockey, they produce a lot of versatile players. Do you have a preference, William, where you play? Honestly, not really. Um, I can play any four position. Really, I guess center is my... I guess if I had to prefer one, it would be center, mm-hmm. but I can play any position really. I don't, I really, it really doesn't matter to me. Whatever the coach wants is whatever goes. So I'll play any position. William, the Shattuck St. Mary's game, the 4 3 overtime loss in the national semi final, they tie the game halfway through the second period with a power play goal. Then they won the game on a short handed goal in overtime. Overall, you led your team in scoring with 13 points in five games. 
How would you assess the team's performance in that game? And what lessons did you learn about being ranked number one all season and then falling just a bit short? I guess we didn't, we didn't play our best in the semifinal game. What we accomplished all season, it was incredible. What like where we got to was amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, we just didn't didn't end up on top, which is too bad. But it's a great learning experience. To you're not always even if you're number one, you're not always gonna win every game. So it was a good learning experience for all of us to realize how we kind of always have to play every single game. No matter if we play the worst team in the country, you always have to bring your A game. Sean, what do you make of your son's hockey journey so far? There's an associated press photo of you and William, your wife and two daughters, in a pregame ceremony in 2016. You had just played your 1,000th NHL game. What are your earliest memories, Sean, of William putting on skates and beginning this journey? Um, it would be up at Edmonton. We were there, I think with, uh, my probably first memory is buying him his equipment. I think at about four years old and, mm-hmm. and dressing him up and realizing that every piece I got him was too big because he couldn't even move. So, <laughs> um, that was probably my first memory. And then just kind of being patient and waiting for him to, um, to, 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 to grow into it and then start. And frankly, when he first started, it wasn't, you know, it, it, even though we were in Canada, it's obviously hockey crazed up there. Um, we were just patient with Will and just allowed him to, you know, kind of develop his own love for the game. You know, we, we had him play a bunch of different sports growing up and, mm-hmm. um, you know, and just kind of wanted him to to do what he, what he preferred and what he liked. And, you know, I think as he got older, I think by about kind of 10 years old is when he really started to enjoy it and, and want to do it more and, and more often really work at it. And that's kind of where he started really trying to, you know, really be started becoming a player. Sean, what advice then would you give to hockey parents out there? We've talked to hockey dads on the podcast, Milan, Hayduke, and Jeff Sanderson. Jeff Sanderson said he started every practice with 15 minutes of skating. Jake Sanderson said there were no drawbacks having a hockey dad. Both Brian Jardine and Kevin Ryder, the uh, director of player personnel with USA Hockey's national development team, they said they valued your input and sons of former NHLers oftentimes have a bit of extra pressure, but where do you fall, Sean, as far as your role as a former NHLer and letting others also coach the team and what's the role has been over the years? Um, well, I've, you know, I try to, uh, to help out as best as I can, obviously with my job, it's been difficult, but we've had an incredible staff here, uh, you know, the, at the 07 Caesar team with, with Brian Jardine and, Kevin Hatcher, Derek Rail. We've had a bunch of different guys in the past mm-hmm. that, that have helped us out, but but the boys have been very fortunate to have very very good coaching here. And um, I think it's important for them to have different voices. You know, there's different ideas and different voices. But we're, you know, I, I play with Jeff Sanderson, and and I've kind of shared the same philosophy. We we did a ton of skill and skating throughout practice with the kids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and frankly, when we really promoted them to play other sports, you know, like we kind of played our hockey and we took it serious in the winter, but then once spring hit, we encouraged the boys to play other sports and, and become good athletes. And, you know, there was, uh, I I think a lot of times with a lot of parents, they become too individualized too early. Um, you know, so we kind of took the opposite approach here and and really encouraged kids to get out there and try other things. Sean, what else stands out to you about the little Caesars uh, program. Your son has played two years, 150 goals. Your last two years out in BC with the Trails, Smokies, and Chilliwack, you had 99 goals. You did have 96 assists, three more than William had this year. But why have they been successful in those final years 
before players say go to the USHL or Canadian hockey, or in this case, uh, the uh, NTDP? Well, I mean, ever since I was a little kid, I mean, I knew about Little Caesars program, you know, so, and that was all the way out. I'm from Western Canada and everybody knew the colors. Everybody knew the team. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they've always just done just a fantastic job. I think it probably starts right at the top with the Eels family just being um, really bought into that. Right. And, 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 and caring about the Little Caesars hockey program and the grassroots program and developing, you know, kids from around the area and, um, when I first got here, you know, Chris Draper at the time was coaching his son and he had, you know, he was kind of the, the, the guy, the driving force behind the little Caesars program. And then, um, you know, Brian Rolston uh, took over eventually after kind of drapes was done and, and has really done a good job of, of recruiting. I think the, the one of the best things they do is they get good coaching. You know, I think mm -hmm. it's important that all these kids have good coaching and, and, and good structure around them. And, um, you know, like I said, it's just, it, 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 it's, it's important for these kids to be around people that have kind of done it before and they know what they're doing and, and, uh, and give them proper structure. William, what do you know about your uh, dad's hockey career? Over a thousand games, a thousand and eight, 511 points, 15 years, 12 of them in Edmonton, where he said you were on skates at about age four. What stands out, William, when you meet your dad's former teammates, you hear stories? What What do you know about your dad's career? Oh, yeah, I hear all the time. He was one of the hardest workers, and he had an incredible, obviously an incredible incredible career. A thousand games is not easy to get, especially in one mm -hmm. of the, the, the best league in the world for hockey. Um, I heard he was a passer, and as a centerman, he was more, like, defensive, and heard he was an incredible passer and a great at defense as a center. William, in 2017, you played in the Brick Hockey Tournament. And for our listeners here in the Detroit area, that started off as a real Edmonton thing in 1990 with Bill Comrie, founder of the Brick Furniture Store. His son, Eric, played briefly here in Detroit. And three Red Wings have played in the tournament. Robbie Fabry, Adam Ernie, and Alex Nedeljkovic. Other notable players include Steven Stamkos, Austin Matthews, and Connor Bedard. As best as you can remember, though, William, the West Edmonton Mall, that's the site of this brick tournament. You had seven points in six games for a team called the Detroit Red Wings. What, if anything, do you remember about that tournament growing up in Edmonton? Growing up, I never really went to the mall much. Growing up in Edmonton, um, one thing I just remember is how much fun we had we i mean we were very young then and there's like roller coasters and water parks in the mall so it was honestly we had more fun outside of hockey than playing the actual game so <laughs> it was just an awesome experience and i encourage anyone who has an opportunity to play there for sure do it because it was one of the most fun tournaments that in quebec that i've ever played william one other note about the brick tournament one person who didn't play in the same tournament that you were in that year is now going to be a teammate of yours. His name is William Moore. He's a 6'3 center with the Toronto Marlies. He missed the tournament in 2017 to play at Carnegie Hall in New York. At age 10, he won a piano competition called the Little Mozarts Competition. And now he's with your team. In fact, William Moore was in Plymouth on the weekend. He skated with the U-17s. Monday morning. What do you know about William Moore, if anything? Was he in the lineup when you played the Marlies earlier this year? And do you feel any pressure when Kevin Ryder says the two of you 
were two of the most highly sought after players among the 24 player roster. I know I, I did. I have played against him a few times this year. Um, he's a really good player. Um, he's really good. His goal scoring ability is really good. Um, but I've only seen him play twice. He's also has really good hands. Um, his ability to make great plays is really good. Also, um, I don't feel much pressure when you say that about the two best players. I mean, I'm just going to go and play my game, mm-hmm. see, play my best game, see what happens. I try not to get caught up in all that nonsense, and I just go and play my best game and encourage my teammates on and try to get better as a player and better as a person. William, how how tall are you now? Six three, almost six four. I'm six four. You're six four. Your coach, Brian Jardine, says big kids. There's a tendency to say he's not this or he's not that, but he said you're a really good skater and you'll only get better with leg strength. Your dad's playing yeah. height was about 6'1", 210. Are you learning how to take advantage of your height? And how do you explain the 80 goals in 80 games? Uh, for sure. Taking advantage of my height is what everyone should do and what everyone usually does when they have height like this. Um just like protecting the puck, getting into mm-hmm. the dirty areas. It's just such a big advantage because it's so hard to take the puck off someone with that kind of size. And this summer, I'm for sure going to build that lower leg strength in order to become a way better, way better skater and like hold those lower positions. Sean, you handled player development with the Wings for five years before taking over Pat Verbeek's job. You were helping develop players who were much older, 18, 19, 20 years old college players. What have you learned watching and coaching Williams teams and how young these players are well before Chris Draper takes a look at them in their draft season? For us, it's, it's different. It's obviously when I, with, with Will, it's being a parent, you know, when they get, as they get older here now, it's weird for me a little bit because they're transitioning. Obviously my job, my job, you know, as these guys get older, they become much more, you know, they become draft eligible and then, then it becomes, that's not really my area. That's obviously Drapes' area, but that's mm-hmm. where we as a staff and management really start paying attention. So it's a, it is a little bit weird because I, you know, time goes fast. I don't look at these kids like that. You know, I, I still look at them as kids, but they are getting close to that. So it is a little bit, you know, it's, it is a little bit weird, but um, you know, it's exciting at the same time. These kids have put a lot of hard work in uh, the, that's the one thing that the, you know, the, the, kid, the players wanted to play on our team. We, each year we held, we, each year growing up, we held tryouts, um, you know, we made it important to know that, you know, this is, you know, this, this, this is a team for serious kids. This is for kids, especially as they got older, mm-hmm. you know, once they got to, you know, 14, 15 years old, you know, it was going to be a lot, there's going to be lots of practice. There's going to be workouts. It's, it was going to be a commitment. And uh, it was for kids that want to take hockey seriously and wanted to move on and, and maybe get a college scholarship or play some junior hockey or, um, you know, I want to try to get to that next level. So it's exciting to see, you know, obviously not just my son, but, but there's, there's many, many kids here. And we have, you know, we're, we've been very fortunate this year to have a lot of really, really high quality players that I know are going to go on and, and, and have great college careers and hopefully, you know, farther after that. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to now just being strictly a parent and, and watching not just Will, but all the <laughs> other kids on the team and, you know, what can happen to them down the road. William, Dan Muse will be your new coach. You'll have new teammates as part of this two-year residency program. Dan has told me they put a lot of responsibility back on the players that they're there to guide you with all the resources on and off the ice, but ultimately it's up to you, as you know. Brian Jardine said you're the hardest working player he's ever been around. He said you're driven and motivated with zero arrogance, team first. He also said you might have taken the loss in the semifinals the hardest, William, because you knew it was the end of that hockey chapter of your life. 
What then, William, are your thoughts about learning the game under a new coach, a new system, under coach, muses, staff? I'm excited. I'm really excited to learn, like, go to the next level. Um, I mean, I guess it's a little sad getting out of youth hockey, but it's just part of life and part of hockey going on. It's time to go on to the next chapter, and it's really exciting to be under incredible coaches at the program, not only Dan Muse, but all the other coaches there. Mm-hmm. Like, they're all incredible. So I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing what they have to say about my game and how they can improve my game throughout the next few years. Guys, thanks so far for your time. Just a couple of more questions. Sean, what do you like about the NTDP program? Steve Eiserman, a few years ago, was a little bit annoyed when a reporter was comparing the American program to the 60 teams in the CHL. And Eiserman said, you do know the best players in the country play on one team whereas the best Canadian players are scattered among 60 teams. The Wings really haven't taken too many NTDP players in the past. This year, if Detroit is drafting around 10 or 12, they might wind up with Oliver Moore or right-winger Ryan Leonard in the first round. Some players, Sean, don't get the minutes. They might get on a less talented team, and sometimes it's hard to tell if they're the product of playing with good players or what's their upside. In a nutshell, what do you like about this system, Sean? I like the competitiveness. I think the practices. Um, I think especially the U17 year can be a tough year for these kids. Um, it's not an easy jump to, you know, the better players seem to, you know, get into the USHL and play. That's a very, very good league. It's hard to to get minutes. I'm still a believer in practice. You know, I'm, mm-hmm. a, I'm a believer in internal competition. Um, and I think that's one thing that this team can offer is, is, is just structure. Um, on top of that, too, they they you know you're, you're this is this is going to be these kids' first exposure to kind of a pro style. You know they're at the rink every day, uh, long hours. Um, you know not only are they expected to to practice hard on the ice, but they're you know they're working out off the ice. They're you know they're that they fit their schoolwork in nutrition's uh, recovery, all that kind of stuff. Now starts coming into these players' minds, and um, I, you know one thing I, th- I think once they do leave here after a couple years, they're they're really ready for that next level and and, mm-hmm. and used to the grind. William, what about international hockey? Have you represented the U.S. before? Is that a given? Your dad won gold medals for Canada at the Worlds in 2003 and 2004 and silver in 2009. You're still a year or so away, but have you watched the World Juniors on TV during the Christmas holidays? And how important is it to do well at these evaluation camps that will be coming up in the next couple of years? Oh, for sure. I've watched all those. It's just incredible to see, like, to have the opportunity to represent your country. It's a blessing. It's one of the best honors you can have. And I'm so happy and so grateful and thankful to have that. Uh, watching the World Juniors, it's, I've watched it since I was little. It's just something I've always wanted to play in. And obviously, these next few years, you're going to be, like, watched and evaluated to be picked for that team. And I'm just going to play my game, focus mm-hmm. on what's important, help my teammates, and just I'm not really going to worry too much about it because if, if I don't do that, then I'll play just play my game and get it better and hopefully make the team. William, many of your NTDP uh, teammates will pick a school in the fall. William Bell has already committed to Notre Dame in the 2025-26 season. Michigan State or Michigan, they could be on the radar for you. Your dad, of course, played four years at Michigan State, 152 career points. He was named CCHA Player of the Year, an All-American, a Hobie Baker candidate. 
when will you make your decision, William? What's that process like? I'm actually, I'm going to take my time. I'm not going to make it, but on August 1st, it's incredibly, really, really <laughs> tough decision. All these schools are all incredible. Academics are great. The hockey programs are elite. So I'm going to take my time, kind of see where everybody else goes and kind of make my decision like based on like more visits and more thoughts and mm-hmm. kind of more like evaluation as the next few years come. William, we're still a couple of years away, but what if the Red Wings draft you? Chris Draper drafted his son Keenan in the seventh round. Your dad probably wants no part of this question right now. Like he said, that's Chris Draper's decision along with Steve Eisenman. But if you get drafted, any team would be great. But what about the Red Wings? I honestly don't care if I just want to go to any team in the NHL. I don't <laughs> care if yeah. any team would be incredible and it'd be a dream come true. So if, if I ever, if when, if I do get the opportunity in the drafts, I'll go to whatever team. I really don't care. Red wings or not. I'll just go anywhere. What hockey numbers have you worn in the, with little Caesars, you wore number 44, your dad wore number 10, number 22. You probably don't have much of a preference, but what numbers have you worn in the past? Um, I, I, I did wear 10 when I was little. And then when I came to, well, we used to be on Honeybaked, and then we moved to Caesars. So when I came to the Honeybaked team, there was another player's 10. So I I switched and I picked 44 because I thought that was a pretty good number. Yeah, and then I've just been 44 since. It's kind of stuck with me. And William, what's the rest of the summer going to be like for you? Evaluation camps, getting prepared, as your dad said, for the upcoming season in the fall. What are these next couple of months going to look like for you? Uh, I'm honestly just going to be in the gym the whole time and work on my skating on the ice. And that's really it. Just every day in the gym and on the ice whenever I can mm-hmm. and just getting better at my game and building more strength and putting on more weight and becoming a better player. And Sean, what are your final thoughts about what's happening now? You'll be interviewed over the next couple of years, of course, as your son moves up like all the parents inside the national team development program. What what are your thoughts as you sort of wrap things up with, with where you're at right now, heading into the summer with your son and your family? Yeah, it's just, it's exciting for us. You know, Will's put a lot of work to get to this point, but we also know that it's just a start, you know, and I think it's important for him to continue to have fun and to just enjoy what he's doing. So to, to tell you the truth, we're not, we don't put that much focus on it. I think we, he's still a kid. We want him to to have fun in the summertime and enjoy himself. And obviously he wants to work hard and, and continue to get better. So there'll be, there'll be plenty of time for that. But um, like I said, he's still, he's still young right now and we just want him to, to enjoy what he's doing. Sean, William, thanks again for joining us on the podcast today and talking about little Caesars hockey, USA hockey's development program and how hockey has been a big part of the Horkoff family. All the best, Sean, with your Red Wings duties and William, Good luck preparing for these next couple of years with Dan Muse and the NTDP program. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Our thanks again to Sean and William Horkoff. You can find their story online this morning at DetroitNews.com. Now let's hear from Steve Eiserman again. Here he is talking about competitiveness and why his Red Wings teams from the mid-90s played as hard as any team he has been a part of. The word competitive, there's a, like, there's a lot of... Uh, uh, definitions of competitiveness or uh, ways of defining being a competitive hockey player. Um, you know, Nicholas, again, Nicholas Lindstrom, uh, again, one of the greatest defensemen ever. 
uh, like he was really, really competitive. You know, was he out there like, you know, competitive like Vladdy and knocking guys down with open ice hits and whatnot? No, but he was extremely competitive and he won puck battles. He made plays. He was there when you needed him. He didn't get pushed around in front of the net. Like, so uh, we've got to be more competitive, you know, and that, that goes in every aspect of the game. And, and there's a lot of areas I'd like to improve upon. And that goes with the group that we have, the guys here, it's incumbent upon them to be more competitive as well. If, if we want to, if we want to, make the playoffs if we want to win Stanley Cups we've got to play harder and uh and we'll try to you know try to add different components to the team as we move along not not just this year but moving forward try to add those components and going back to my own playing career in the mid 90s we changed the roster you know we had we had good teams we changed it around to bring different components to give yourselves more give our team more balance and and I'll continue to try and do that, but competitiveness is is a very broad, you know, my description, competitive hockey players, there's a lot of different ways of defining it, and uh, um, it can come in a lot of ways, so I've seen, um, you know, it just, everybody's got to be a little bit better, and we'll, we'll try to address a lot of areas, but it's not necessarily in, oh, hey, we got to go out there and fight and beat people up, you got to play hard. Ted, before we talk about the high point of the season, how about the low point, those two games in Ottawa? In the 6-2 loss on that Monday, February 27th, Detroit actually led 2-1 in the second period. They had 31 hits, 16 block shots, but that was the game. Brady Kachuk challenged the Wings bench at the end of the second period. Kachuk had five hits. He's 6-4. Austin Watson had eight hits. He's 6-4. Mark Kastelik is 6'3". He had five hits. Julian Goche is 6'4". He had five hits. Derek Lalonde said many of those hits were borderline charging penalties. And then the next night in the 6-1 to loss, Detroit had 34 hits, 13 blocked shots. But Watson had three more hits, two goals. Marit Sider was Detroit's best player, just as he was all season, probably. He had eight hits, four shots, four blocked shots. So, Ted, the next time the Wings are in this position, clearly the most important game since Steve Eisenman took charge four years ago. Will we see that competitiveness on a more regular basis? And can they play harder with this lineup? Derek Lalone kind of made mention that that is something that can be learned. I don't know. It'll be interesting to see. Mm -hmm. I I know sometimes I have my doubts about that, but no question. I mean, I think there were times this season they were taken, taken advantage of physically, although to be fair, there were also well, there were also times that they did stand up for each other. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So that'll be interesting to watch. I don't know. I mean, they do need to get a little bit more abrasive. I think it, those two Ottawa games, obviously, if you single those out, that was a big factor in those games. But I will say those Ottawa big guns really came to play those those nights too. Kachuk, DeBrincat, Giroux, they all had big nights. Tim Stutzel, they all had big nights. So. Right. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, it's it is another part of that discussion that they do need to get better. They need to get a little chippier, a little edgier. I think uh, whether that can be a learned behavior, I don't know. We'll we'll have to wait and see. And finally, the uh, high point of the season. Here's Derek Lalonde talking about the four-one victory over the Rangers that you mentioned earlier, Ted. That put the Wings seven games over five hundred 
and kind of famously above the cut line, as Andrew Kopp said. Well, I think it says something about the group, and, th- and that was real. Uh, we felt it ourselves. Um, even our guys have been in this room a long time, the Dylan Larkins of the world. Um, this is a passionate fan base. They're waiting for this to, to get over the hump. Um, when we showed signs of it, and uh, it was exciting, I think the fan base on a whole, I think, appreciated the compete in this group, uh, no matter what roster we fielded on any given night. Um, so that's real. And I think that's something that you can build off. And I think that's something that makes this organization and fan base special. So getting a little bit of a taste of that, I think was real for our guys. It's like anything else, any winning you do, any success you have, you get a taste. So you just want more of it. And I'm hoping that's one of many things that can fuel us into next year. So, Ted, here's a couple of numbers from that Rangers game. The Rangers came in unbeaten in 10 road games. That was one shy of the franchise's longest unbeaten streak since 1940. That's 83 years. It was also Detroit's first home game since the shooting at Michigan State on February the 13th. It was Spartan strong that night, an outpouring of support 100%. And... As for the game, the Rasmussen line dominated. Michael Rasmussen had a goal and an assist. Andrew Kopp had one goal and two assists, and David Perron had two assists. The Wings had 22 hits, 22 block shots. Dominic Kubalik had four hits. Joel Valeno and Robbie Fabry, three each. Dylan Larkin came into that game with 14 points in nine games, including that Western road trip where they went seven and one coming into the game. So Ted, what do you remember about that night? The playoffs were right there. And how funny was that line yesterday? Derek Lalonde said he was already thinking of spending his coach of the year bonus after that night. Hey, look, I mean, there was, they played very well that night. I thought, I think they looked like a playoff team. They did, but mm-hmm. from there on in, I mean, we, we talk about those Ottawa games, but that game after that, the Vasilevsky uh game and we stole that one he made 45 saves that was the next game after the rangers and yeah vasilevsky basically stole that one and that was kind of obviously a tough loss and then they went to ottawa and lost those two and then the bertuzzi trade came down and i think just yeah physically and mentally they were crushed i think mentally they just i really think a lot of them thought that eiserman was going to stand pat and when that didn't happen Mm -hmm. I think it really did affect them to a certain degree. They got into a funk, uh, two losses to Philadelphia in a matter of, of a few weeks, and you know, you you know, where at Philadelphia is they're they're lower in the standings. That those were tough losses. Uh, you know, you could they and the, and the, and the thing is, Mark. I mean, yeah, like we mentioned before. I mean, it's not like last season when it was a hundred points that got you into the playoffs. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were in the low 90s this year, you're right in it. So, you know, they had the opportunity. There were some games they gave away for sure. But, uh, you know, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, here we go into the offseason, and it will be interesting to see what kind of changes they make. They, they do need some more offense. We've mentioned several times here today already. And that'll do it for Episode 89 of our Detroit News, Detroit Red Wings podcast. Thanks again, Ted. For your time, you can find all of Ted's stories online at DetroitNews.com, as well as on our Octopulse Facebook page. And Ted's first-round playoff predictions will be online and in Monday's paper. Thanks again, everyone, for listening, rating, and reviewing these podcasts.